0: Hello and welcome to Long Range Sensors, the show where we talk about growing up with Star Trek in England and pick an episode from the final frontier to reflect on. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Beam aboard and join the crew to get access to exclusive benefits over at patreon.com Slash long range sensors. Which brings us to the latest member of the crew, Devon Scarata, who joins us as a founding member. Thank you so much for your support for the show. My name is Alastair. I'm British, but I live in Canada. And as always, joining me from all the way over in London, England, is a man who was once caught trying to replicate
1: a replicator. It's Mr. Trevor Whale. It's a great uh, concept, actually. Uh, replicating a, re- can they do that? I mean, they must be able to do, do that, right?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's industry With components. Yeah, like there's industry level replicators that they use. Like even Deep Space Nine has one for generating yeah. massive parts for for stuff. So yeah, why why couldn't you replicate a replicator?
1: If you're making the parts for a replicator in a replicator, you're basically replicating a replicator. That's, that's so it. yeah. That's how they make them in the first place. Um, yeah, I'm very well. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> how, how are you uh, doing?
0: I am doing very well, although my, uh, my nose just seems to be incredibly itchy right now. But we'll, we'll get through it, I'm sure.
1: Bad case of itch nose. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I find that uh, when I'm playing like a normally a racing video game where you can't really look away from the screen, or like, you know, take your hands off the controls, always get itchy everything at that point. Mm. Yeah. Very frustrating. Very yep. frustrating. Yep.
0: Just wish there was a hyperspray that I could just use just to, you know, tssst, and then it's just the itch is gone.
1: Anti-itch sprays, yeah. That's it. I'm sure they exist in the future. The dermal un <laughs> <The laughs> Dermal regenerator of the 23rd century, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, this week, we've decided to return to the USS Voyager to continue to try and headcanon our way out of various plot holes in the Star Trek universe. And this time, we're looking at Voyager Shuttles.
1: Yeah, are we, are we throwing shade on, on Voyager, by? This is the second time we've had the headcanon our way out of Voyager. We, well, is this our way of saying it's got so many ridiculous stuff in it. We're going to fix it all. <laughs> I'm not saying that. You might be. But
0: yes, I think it is a little bit. are <laughs> <laughs> not saying that, but yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is that it, it's yeah. easy to start off with, and we can obviously progress to more challenging ones. But uh, no, no show is without sin.
1: I, I think it, it's more, they stick out more with Voyager because of the premise, you know, um, I'm sure yeah. a million photon torpedoes are fired in next generation and loads of shot across blood, but there's always a way without having to think too hard about how they could obviously they're in the, they're in the alpha quadrant or the beta quadrant. They can, they're in, then, you know, um, they have access to replenish these things. Mm. So you don't really need to think about it too much. Yeah. In a show where the whole premise is literally there, nowhere near, anywhere where they can replenish this stuff. This, these issues of things running out are far more um, obvious and, uh, yeah, difficult to reconcile.
0: Yeah, you don't have to worry about the Enterprise running out of shuttles because there's star bases nearby and that's all you need to, to explain. Exactly. It? Yeah, we do see quite a lot of shuttles, a surprising number in Voyager. Yes. What we know is that... Of the shuttles that we saw, there was about 17 that were lost. There's 10. 17. 17, yeah. There's 10 that we know of, and there's 7 that we can assume probably got destroyed. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the shuttle bay for Voyager itself, where this becomes a, a troublesome number, is that typically it has room for two shuttles to be ready to launch and in total, it can hold about eight. It's supposed to have a complement of two type six shuttles, which are the ones that we saw predominantly in next generation, three type eight, which we'll talk about in a little bit as well, and three type nine, which are the ones that we see later on during the run of the series.
1: Yeah. Because obviously the Voyager is a lot smaller than um, you know, the Enterprise D, for example. And you actually get to see a lot of the shuttle bay in next generation. I mean numerous episodes.
0: Yeah, there's there was one episode where they do show is the cause and effect episode where they have to open up the yeah. Shuttle Bay One Door and they never built the set but they had like a model of it that you could kind of look inside. Yes. But the actual shuttle bay itself was supposed to be absolutely massive when you look at all the schematics and deck plans. And there was also that um, that 3D simulation kind of walk around that, uh, that was done as a fan project, which got shut down by Viacom and CBS. Yeah. I forgot what it's called now. But it was basically like a, a, a simulator tour of the Enterprise, and they rebuilt it in that. And you could just see how much space there actually was there.
1: It's it's fairly inconsistent in terms of shuttle bay sizes. I mean, when you think of like the Constitution refit enterprise, you obviously get quite lengthy shots in, you know, when, you know, when Captain Kirk first gets aboard it, um, showing cargo shuttles and, and travel pods and things going in. It looks like to be a huge, huge area, like a couple of gymnasiums, high school gymnasiums or something, that um, place, place next to each other.
0: There is definitely room towards the back. If you remember back to our episode... Uh, where we talked about model kits. yeah. Uh, in the show notes, there was actually photos that we got from my friend Chris, where he, he he's actually had the actual internal shuttle bay area built. And there is a surprisingly astonishing amount of space back there. And that's where Voyager is able to hold eight. Um, in, in the technical guide that they had. Now, this isn't the technical manual. We've mentioned this before, the, the Voyager technical guide. That's basically like this is the button that the crew needs to push for it to do this. And this is really a guide for the writers to understand what they should do. Yeah, And in that, it states that it carries two standard shuttlecraft, four shuttle pods, and four EVA work pods. Wow. Which is actually less than we actually see in general with the uh, the eight that's kind of theorized for it.
1: I do recall um, there was a segment in um, Star Trek Voyager Elite Force yeah, where you're in the shuttle bay um, yep. for a segment of that game, and there as you see, there's a, obviously it's they've had to take some liberties to you know to make a, a shuttle bay that you can walk around and do do stuff with, and you've got a couple of there's like a couple of tasks you have to do in it, mm. um, and there's little tucked away little garages almost I would call them where yeah. additional shuttlecraft stay and not the ones that are just on on the sort of the main hangar. Yeah, so that kind of I mean, that's not a headcanon, that's a game you could go and play and you can look, look around um, <laughs> and see what they've done. But, um, yeah, that's, that can kind of, you know, reconcile that, but you don't really get the impression that the shuttle bay is actually as big as that in the TV series. Mm. And they've also got Neelix's ship, of course. Yes, that's um, something that else is, they
0: have to fit in there that's in there for pretty much most of the voyage.
1: Yeah, and um, again, that's kind of a bit flaky as to how big that ship is they do you use it um you don't really see it, well they meet the him and caretaker but you don't really see the, his ship at all in that in fact you just see him in on his bridge i guess or whatever mm. well, it's not really a bridge i guess but whatever he is where he co- controls it The cockpit. um the cockpit yeah on the view screen and that's it and there's a couple more episodes i remember one episode where he actually uses the shuttle for something with you getting to create like a decoy or or something, I can't remember the episode it's in. And you actually see him, you actually see it, and you actually see him doing stuff in it. It feels like that was like a season two episode, or maybe a season three uh, episode. But yeah, so there's that as well. So it's all this stuff is packed in quite tight, really, when you think <laughs> about it. A work <laughs> pod I could get because obviously you're going to need to you know as much as it's a ship that was designed to not really be on huge long term missions lasting years something you know quite significant might happen to the hull when you're out and it's 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 still not feasible for it just to pop back to earth or to dry dock to be able to get it fixed so you're going to need some pretty heavy duty maintenance equipment kind of like mm. you know I was watching like Prometheus and uh, Alien Covenant over the weekend oh, okay yeah and in their hangar bay They've got tons of, like, um, you know, maintenance stuff just to keep the thing going because, obviously, mm. they're not going back um, um, anytime soon. So, yeah, it's kind of that sort of thing. So that makes sense for them to be in there. And a work pod isn't that big, is it? It's like kind of... I remember a lot of like, in various... There's various incarnations, but they're often, like, sort of cone-shaped little things that uh, maybe have two people in them and they're just there to work and they're not really for going on a mission somewhere or travelling yeah. somewhere.
0: But the, yeah, those are the work pods, yeah. There is reference to the shuttle pods and work pods, but we never see them ever in Voyager.
1: In fact, I only recall really seeing work pods in well, like the motion picture, like I've mentioned, when you see mm. you know, all this stuff going on around the Enterprise. But like in, in Enterprise, you see yeah. pods, but obviously these would be far less advanced than what you would see in Voyager. But yeah,
0: we do see worker bees in Next Generation as well. Yeah. Especially during the time when uh, the Enterprise is being constructed, which was, to be fair, a holodeck simulation that we saw. But uh, yes. yeah. but we we never saw ones that were actually on board Voyager, is the thing.
1: You also there's loads of shots generally, isn't there? Throughout all the series, like where there's a, a ship in space dock and there's yeah. like little little autonomous little vehicles flying around. don't we know what they are. So, of course, a lot of the time, especially in the era when they had model kits, literally real kits were used to represent the ships for CG. They're probably kit-bashed, you know, shuttlecrafts and stuff. They probably <laughs> didn't really plan to have them look like anything or, you know, take them too seriously. I'm sure, you know, we, we were talking about the Star Trek fact files last time. They're, they're probably documented in, in there like, you know, ad nauseum. Probably, but yeah, we don't really get a good look at them generally. Yeah, a,
0: a lot of them are for things like the yellow worker bees, which I think it, I, I think it's a brilliant name for them as well, uh, doing yeah. what they do. But that is also to just kind of move very large bits of hull plating or nacelles into place so they can all be joined on and stuff. Yes. Uh, So it's like that. And you would imagine, given how drastically and how frequently the reset button is hit in Voyager, these things must be in use a lot, trying to repair the outside of the ship to make it look uh, sparkly and clean, ready for the next episode, the the next adventure.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one I would always call back to is like um, Arthur Scorpion. I mean, it's got, like, Borg tech technology on it. I don't, like, in the episode immediately after that, The Gift, don't think they really, it's mentioned there's a big effort to repair anything. The focus is on the main story, of course, of that episode. Do they actually mention that, oh, we've we've been fixing the Voyager after what happened during the borg light encounter? I don't don't really think they really even say that, to be honest. I I don't recall.
0: No, I think it was basically just, you know, ship has gone through its usual reset button phase which is really
1: interesting because the the interesting about the gift is it takes place like a matter of hours mm. after scorpion part 2 which is quite rare for a non for an episode that's not you know a part 2 or even a part 3 but yeah they don't address like the damage to the ship or the borg tech up you know upgrades at all but yeah it's just just classic voyager like you said just that that reset button just got completely just destroyed uh for that one so yeah
0: yeah I, I love the number of types of shuttles that they have as well because as we said they've got the type 6 the type 8 and the type 9 the type 6 was obviously the one that was seen quite commonly in next generation and deep space 9 as well uh we did also see one passing deep space 9 as voyager was preparing to depart and the registry on that one changes <laughs> to complete oh, right, yeah yeah it's like a five digit uh, registry and then it switches to a four digit well I think it switches to the enterprise registry,
1: yeah, it's uh paris and uh is being escorted to the, sh- to, the De- to the Voyager or to deep Space Nine, I think particularly by yeah. Staddy. Staddy was her name, yeah,
0: the Beoidid, I believe wasn't she
1: yeah, she was yeah, and um that didn't actually have like a random like registration on it, oh, it wasn't like the Voyager registration No, or where it was, he was something like s-
0: seven Ooh. four one two five or something. Yeah, like that. It was close to Voyagers, which is seven four six five six, but it was it was slightly off.
1: My head for that was it was just like um, he obviously needed to get to Deep Space Nine because obviously Voyager was there, and it, there was obviously a. a, a a ship that was in the general vicinity, yeah, but not wouldn't be able to take him there. So they just said, like, you need to use our shuttle craft to go the rest of the way, because they can travel at like, you know, warp two and or, can't they, or warp three or four or something. Yeah. So yeah. And people people go on shore leave, don't they, and things like away from the, the mothership on these things yeah. as seen in Next Generation a couple of times. So yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's usually I think like warp three to five is the sort of general thing by the twenty fourth yeah. century. It's- Um, So they've got pretty good range on them. The Type 8 was designed for Voyager because most shuttles seem to have the same kind of warp nacelles as the ship that carries them. So when you see the shuttles in the motion picture, they have very similar nacelles to the Reefa Enterprise. When you see them in the original series, it's the very rounded cylindrical ones that you see of the original series' constitution.
1: I'm getting the impression now that you're a bit of a nacelles guy. Are you a <laughs>
0: nacelles guy? I do, I do like an ample set of nacelles, yes. Um, they're,
1: they're nice. I'll, always. I do admire nacelles. I see a starship and I'm like, oh, <laughs> look look at the nacelles on that. Yeah. It's nice nacelles.
0: Nice big bussard collector at the front, yeah. But the, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the Type 8, uh, the, they did that so that the nacelles looked very similar to Voyager's ones where they're kind of pointy at the front. They're like the Madonna of nacelles.
1: It's like you know, the ship has given birth to a baby, doesn't it? <laughs> it's got, like, it kind of looks like the same, or a baby version of it with the nacelles looking yeah. the same. And they're pointed. They're kind of um, extruded out more, don't they? Because the shells yeah. are kind of pointier. Yeah.
0: But it seemed like they, they did it just to have something more unique for Voyager. And then they just started switching back randomly to the Type 6. And then this led to a lot of continuity errors during the production because you would have the cockpit of like the Type 8, but it would be a Type 6 shuttle on the outside or vice versa. The Master Systems display would show the wrong shuttle. And then you'd also have in probably the worst case of this was in the Raven where there's a shuttle in there, and it constantly, in one shot, it's a Type 6, then it's a Type 8, then it's back to a Type 6, and it just flips back and forward, just completely morphing each time.
1: Also, not to clear up any confusion, the Master System's display isn't where they have somehow incorporated a Sega Master System <laughs> control, <laughs> um, which would be odd in the like whether well, something that would be an, an, an ancient artifact at that point. Maybe, yeah. you know, they like playing Sonic the Hedgehog in the future or something, but yeah. They're, they're great those displays though. Uh, a lot of people actually oh, yeah. buy sort of like big lithographic printouts of them because they look beautiful, don't they? With the schematics and the, the especially the schematic of the ship is, is isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, especially mix it with right. all your that, uh, yes, <laughs> of exactly. the acutograms that yes, the cars kind of uh, look to it. Yeah. But yeah, then they switched to the Type 9, which was like the very pointed nose on the the shuttles. And those kind of came in later. It's almost kind of like, well, let's update it. And it's just like, so you've had these more advanced shuttles
1: and you haven't been using them? And that's what I kind of associate as the shuttle of Voyager is that very pointy futuristic one. But it actually isn't the one they always use, which is funny. But yeah, Yeah. maybe because the threshold episode is just buried in my brain. (laughs) And that's what they use that type, I think. It was. Yeah.
0: That was the one, yeah. I, I would imagine that it was kind of like, well, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Let's not waste the good shuttles in case they get destroyed, which a lot do. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think they were probably holding back the Type 9s. But this is the thing. So more shuttles have been destroyed than it's able to carry.
1: And good I think... For the song, by the way. Holding mm-hmm. back the Type 9s. Yes. <laughs> From the <a> Star Trek-themed <laughs> album. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I think that based on what we
0: were kind of saying with our previous head one in episode twelve, how they make their own torpedoes is kind of what we came to the conclusion. Yes, I don't think it's hard to, you know, assume that they're doing the same as well because torpedoes still have a matter antimatter reaction going on. These shuttles need a warp core.
1: And, and, yeah, and if we go crazy head canoning, ha- head canning in head cannoning yeah on, on this if I could say it. They probably construct Starfleet purposely make sure shuttle crafts are things that can be that can be relatively easy to build yeah. away from a space station, you know, because they know they're going to be damaged potentially and blown up if space is dangerous. So then they're not going to make them something that the crew of the ship that they're from can't just hmm. build it another one if they just replicate the bits.
2: They probably That's do it. make
1: them easily buildable, you know. Obviously yeah. super easy. I'm sure you can't make something super easy, but yeah.
0: I mean, the, the whole design for a lot of the ships is that they're modular.
1: Yeah, exactly. We see
0: lots of little things being changed in and out with various ship classes. And obviously the constitution class where it got its refit. That's all because it's a, a modular design for it. So, yeah, I, I think they'll have the materials. They'll have the training. They will have the ability to do that, given that they can fix the ship quite easily. Yeah, yeah. There's also a really cool note from Colin from uh, This Does Not Compute who, oh yeah, uh, on YouTube. Great channel. Brilliant channel on retro stuff. I, I know that you're, you're a big fan as well. Yes. And I saw a comment on YouTube uh, at some point where he said, uh, years ago, while Voyager was still on the air, I wondered the same thing about the shuttles. I emailed Rick Stern back and asked him what he thought about it. And he confirmed that the crew had to be constructing them with the additional note that he figured they had spare warp coils stacked up
1: like car tyres. Yeah, which you, which you probably could, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there's storage capacity. I mean, they, they talk about carg- multiple cargo bays, I think, and storage bays. And a warp coil, I don't think it's like... um, It'll also be something that could be divided into segments, so it won't just be a ginormous unit that has to sit, you know, uh, take several decks up or something. <laughs> yeah. It there are modular things that you can rebuild, so hmm. that that's that seems reasonable to me. I mean, Voyager's small compared to the Enterprise, but it's still and you know a friggin' big ship, you know, by yeah. by anybody's like measuring of anything. So, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable to me that they, they could they'll be able to do that.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I also would imagine that a lot of the parts that they have are also interchangeable with Voyager's own systems. Yes. So if Voyager breaks, they've got parts that they can use for that. If the shuttle breaks those same parts can be used in in the shuttles. And maybe that is why the shuttles take on a very similar design to the the ship that carries them. Maybe it is so that they're kind of made in conjunction to be better on resources.
1: I would also say that they're probably constantly making things as well. You know, they don't wait to lose four shuttles before they replenish them. They probably, you know, if some component fails, they immediately get the backup made and then make a backup Mm. for the backup. So if one (laughs) shuttle gets destroyed they'll go ahead and they'll make another one. And, and also the amount of time that passes, you know, episode, there's no real impression of how much time there was between one episode and another. If you can consider a season of Voyager, which it basically is, is each year of their journey. Yeah. Um, and there's like 25 episodes, you know, you're looking at, you know, these are things that happen a couple of times a month, you know, is, is mm. where we actually pick up an episode with them. So in, in between that time, I mean, I'm sure it will take at least several months to well it might not it might be very quick to build a shuttlecraft a matter of days maybe even a matter of weeks so there's plenty of time in between the what we see in in canon on 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 the show between episodes so to build this stuff
0: yeah i mean the ridiculous thing was how quickly they built the delta flyer <laughs> yeah
1: yeah exactly that was that was built in days which is more complex than a regular.
0: I, I think if you can build the delta flyer in just a matter of days then yeah just quickly assembling the shuttles can't be difficult in that regard
1: and we're also applying our own standards to it in our time now you know we think hmm. we need 30 people to spend eight hours a day doing it they're, they're probably they probably have like like robots and like really awesome tools and stuff that'll allow you to assemble and move heavy equipment and do stuff effortlessly. Mm. So it's, it'll be nothing like what the effort we would have to put in to build a car, for, uh, for example, you know. Yeah. And even that is, is automatic to a huge degree. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly feasible for you to imagine this stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: So one of the things that I, I'm not entirely sure how to consolidate, and that's that the Delta Flyer doesn't fit through the door. Yes. Canonically, it is too big. It's too wide to actually fit through the uh, through that shuttle bay door. But obviously we see it happening because they can just squash down the actual 3D model for it. But I th- I think almost the only headcanon way around it is just somebody got the measurements wrong on the schematics. And it's just a typo.
1: Yeah, they can't really extend the shuttle bay doors because that's a very <laughs> finite space, isn't it? They've got and there's nothing to fold away or fold up or or you know no. hide away. On there's no kibble sort of hanging out of it that that gives it that size. So
0: no, there's, yeah, there's,
1: that's, there's, that's kind of difficult.
0: Yeah, there's nothing from the in your gel packs where you know you're able to just say to them, okay, now take a deep breath, inhale, yeah, and just have the whole ship expand. Like that's that's not how that works. I so I, I would like to imagine that somewhere somebody has done a typo on the dimensions of the ship
1: it probably is yeah
0: and it's just never been updated and that they're having to work from schematics with the wrong measurements as well uh, and still fix the ship
1: yeah that's kind of crazy yeah you can't head head headcanon that in a reasonable way can you we just have to say (laughs) there's a mistake a mistake happened with the dimensions because it just seems like it's it's not that much bigger than a regular shuttle like slightly wider and longer yeah, um, I think, and not nowhere near like runabout size, which is almost like a mini starship, isn't it? Really,
0: the, the one thing as well is I think they could have gotten around this quite easily by not even building it, because obviously this is something that came in a lot later throughout the show. But they had the Aero Shuttle, which is the captain's yacht that sits beneath the saucer section, and yeah, we see it in the model. It was there as part of the design. We've had them in previous ships as well. Uh, the Galaxy class has one that Probert put in. We do finally see the captain's yacht being used in the Sovereign class in Nemesis. Uh, not Nemesis yeah. in um, Insurrection. Insurrection. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, or as do... Red Letter Media like to call that film, Star Trek: His Erection. <laughs> um, <laughs> <God>. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one.
0: <laughs> but yeah, the the Arrow shuttle was basically just another larger shuttle that sat within the housing of the saucer section. And it was capable of not just interplanetary flight, but also atmospheric, so it could easily go down into a planet, which Voyager was actually surprisingly capable of as well. Yeah, It would house four crew members, which is about the same as what the Delta Flyer always did. And it could achieve warp three, which is, you know, not too shabby. And I don't know why they didn't use it. I mean, we, we know from a production standpoint that the writers never did, and I think they just got excited about other things. But canonically, within the show, I'm wondering what it was that was the reason for it. Because there's a, I think there's potentially a few different things. Either it didn't work, it may have been damaged. Yeah. It may be that they didn't want to risk losing it and suddenly have a gaping hole in the hole.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: I'm not sure. I mean, what, what kind of you know, things do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, Captain Jot is an interesting one because it was always something that you'd read in the technical manuals, but it was never mm. really talked about at all until really Star Trek Insurrection, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and it's not really clear what you use it for. I understand that in, like, going back in, like in ancient times and, like, with sailing ships and pirates and stuff, there was a Captain Jot on those sort of ships. but um,
0: yeah. Often traditionally called the Captain's Gig.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, maybe it's for, like, you know, ambassadorial visits and they have to go and pick mm. someone up. They don't want to use a regular shuttle. It's kind of serves the same purpose as perhaps a runabout, because they're a fair bit bigger and yeah. um, probably more powerful and stuff. The one in, like, um, Interaction is kind of a cool kind of, you know, mm. very similar to a runabout, really. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think they really ever come up with a compelling way to use it that uh, that a shuttlecraft, you know, couldn't fill, fill fulfill that same function, really. Yeah. And if, if it's there for ferrying
0: diplomats, you can't even use the argument that it's not well defended because it would have to be.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a very cool concept, and they, you know, the one in Insurrection in, is cool. But, um, yeah, I think it's just a case of, like, like it, they just couldn't find compelling ways to really use it when a, a shuttlecraft does the same job. And also, like, practical reasons, probably they might mm. didn't want to build a new set for it. And also, you know, the model as well. And just how just use you know it's each of them just to dig out you know the model of the old the shuttlecraft that they've already got they've already made and they don't <laughs> spend any money on it. Whereas yeah. a film like Insurrection, they've got a big budget you know way more than an episode of a TV show. So and it's also with episodic television like um, Voyager, you spend more money on one episode that might mean you've got to take that out of another one. So you have to be really careful when you're budgeting for even you know, a new set or a new ship. You know, unless it's really, really has to, is is needed. So, like, there was there wasn't really a reason to to have a, the yacht appear. I guess it's based because of all those re- reasons. I think. Yeah. Would you like to have seen it? Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm always up for more Starfleet stuff to appear, ships and everything. Mm. Like, like people forget, like it was a long time, and people might not even realize it was a long time before we really saw anything other than like the Enterprise. In Star Trek. Yeah. There are other Constitution class ships in the original series, but they looked the same because of the same class. We never saw anything other than that. Well, Shuttlecraft is all we saw. It wasn't until we saw The Reliant, really, that we saw a different class ship to the Enterprise. Um Mm -hmm. and then in Star Trek Three, the Excelsior. The 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 wider universe of Star Trek sort of Starfleet didn't really happen until the movies. And obviously it kind of, you know, when the TV other TV series happened, that could obviously get even bigger. But now it's not so exciting to see another type of ship or something. But back then when we got to like Next Generation and like, um, you know, and they were still recycling the Excelsior class for ages in like Next Generation, weren't they? As like the mm. other class, it was rare. Kind of, actually, it was probably rare even then to see a new ship of that of that era probably like the enterprise c when that turned up in, in an episode you know that was kind of an a, a brand new ship so yeah i'm always up for that sort of stuff absolutely yeah. I, I suppose
0: one other final thing that it could be is also just because the mission was rushed do you feel that maybe the air shuttle just wasn't prepped in enough in time given that they were sort of on this emergency mission to the badlands
1: um yeah and it's also the fact that we've talked before about how the Voyager wasn't intended to be used for like, I think that mission was supposed to be like a couple of weeks. Wasn't it really? So they didn't didn't need to sort of completely kit it out for a deep space thing, which is perhaps what they would need to do for, you know, other autonomous vehicles, like an aero shuttle or a yacht or, you know, more shuttlecraft. So Mm. yeah, they're already supposed to be out there for a couple of weeks and then come back to Deep Space Nine, um, I think. So yeah, they wouldn't have gone nuts having any Mm. extra stuff they didn't need that was outside of the mission parameters. Yeah.
0: I think we've started off relatively easy with these headcanon segments. So if you have any tougher Star Trek plot holes that you'd like us to tackle in a future episode, shoot us an email at longrangecensors at iCloud.com and we'll see if we can solve it. But for now, we're going back to a time when shuttles were simpler as we return to Star Trek Enterprise to step aboard Shuttle Pod 1.
1: It's been a long time um, getting from the last episode to here (laughs) with Enterprise. (laughs) I didn't quite work. I was going to say getting from there to here, but people were like, "What was the what was the there?" I mean, oh, you know, in the last episode we did an Enterprise episode, but uh, it does yeah.
0: feel like it's been a while, doesn't
1: it? It has, yes, it has.
0: I think because uh, our, our last one was really just a, it was one of our away missions.
1: It um, was, yeah. It wasn't yeah. an episode as such, was it? Really? So, mm. yeah, we haven't covered a lot of of Enterprise. That's why we're making up for it today.
0: Yeah but this this is a really really good probably one of my favorite season 1 episodes in all honesty. And yes. we actually held a, a poll uh, as we've been doing quite a bit lately and this a poll. Yeah this <laughs> it's a poll. Yeah. This was unanimously chosen 100% of votes for this uh, this episode of the three that we put up there. And it's it's an interesting one because it is a bottle episode.
1: I think it's the it's the ultimate yeah. bottle episode really. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Because it has no new sets, no new costumes, no new aliens. Uh, in fact, not even for the, for the only time ever in Star Trek history, uh, not even any extras, no, no background crew or anything. It's just principal cast, and that is it. And part of it was because they had blown most of the budget in the first few episodes of
1: season one. Which makes sense, because uh, they had to establish a lot yeah, In those uh, first few episodes, yeah. Yeah, um, I
0: mean, we, we had a shuttle that had landed out in a park. We hadn't seen something look that real, because normally when you see a, a shuttle life-size, it's just on one of the sound stages. To actually have it physically outdoors, um, outside of the movies, was almost unheard of. And, that was yeah. a great
1: episode, uh, Strange New World. That's it, yeah. The third episode. I mean, generally, talking of shuttles, we've talked about them a lot already yeah. and in this episode. <laughs> you see, you'll see that the shuttle pods are a massive part of Enterprise because they don't beam anywhere. Yeah, So just to go to another ship across from them, they have to use a shuttle pod to do it. Yeah, well, you see a lot more of the shuttle pods than you probably do of any other kind of shuttle, perhaps, mm. in mean, any other series, yeah.
0: With this one, because this is season one, episode 16. So we're about halfway through the, the, the season. Yes, And Trip and Malcolm in their shuttle pod, just going through this asteroid field. And Malcolm's even making comment that the captain said that he'd be mapping that very asteroid field, but he can't see them. They're obviously trying to rendezvous with the ship and uh, they're not there, but they're having trouble of their own because the sensor array is down And their comms are down and Trip is just in the back trying to fix it. And I really love this because just the idea of we've got the shuttle, they've not been attacked. Normally it's because there's been some kind of problem there. This is just, this is tech that's not very advanced and just stops working.
1: Yeah, basically. And, um, it really establishes they can't just like cobble together like a gadget that will fix everything at the end. Like, again, Voyager, we keep calling it out, but it, it was guilty of that quite a lot. <laughs> and it kind of gives a, a sense of space is a lot more intimidating mm. because of that, I think. Yeah, that, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, and I love that we get such a good
0: character dynamic. This is a very character-driven show, this episode, because you got Reed mentioning that he's brought a copy of Ulysses with him to Reed. Uh, and Tripp just remarks that he'd rather realign every microcircuit on the shuttle than have to wait through that baby. And it really just highlights the differences between them. We even start to see a lot more differences just from the fact that Tripp is American and Reed is British.
1: Yeah, the actor uh, Dominic Keating. Um... Yeah. He's actually from the same place I, I am. I'm from Leicester in the Midlands. I'm in the UK. And that's where Dominic Keating is from as well. Although I it's very obvious okay. he's got a very posh accent, probably from <laughs> going to like drama school and everything. Mm. Um, whereas a Leicester accent, I, I don't have it because I left when I was uh, quite young. So I don't really mm. get it. But it sounds quite northern sounding. Yeah. So he doesn't have that at all. And it, and that's what he sounds like normally, you know. Uh, and that isn't, he's not putting that accent on for Star Trek. But he's, he's, he's a really good actor. And it also, it's this episode helps establish what would become quite a big sort of friendship dynamic on Enterprise between Malcolm and Tripp. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and just talking of accents, Tripp, obviously, that is not Conor natural accent. He, he puts on a Southern accent. And I still remember when there was yeah. um, petitions going around to get him to change his accent which would have been bizarre happening throughout the, <laughs> the middle of the series. But, you know, some very loudmouth fans are just very particular and like, he shouldn't have a southern accent.
1: It's absolutely ridiculous. Why not? I know, why not? It's yeah, if we can live with Picard speaking like a British person, even though he's French. I think we could deal with a uh, trip. <laughs> with an accent I think I only realised that um, when you should say that uh, about his accent when I remember watching um, Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles oh yeah yeah, um, which is a brilliant series mm. uh, we used to, we used to talk, talk about the series a lot as well But we did, yeah, back in the day didn't we um, yeah. maybe there'll be another podcast uh, that'll be a quick one there's only two se- six seasons <laughs> but um, Connor Trinneer is in an episode of, of Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles I think in the second season he yeah. plays a cop um, mm-hmm. I remember watching it um, and I was like oh my god it's trip um but yeah, he dies, I think, in that episode. He gets killed. But yeah, he's obviously not putting on an accent in that. And I was like, oh, yeah right, okay. He's,
0: <laughs> he's he's also a recurring character in uh, Stargate Atlantis as well. So yeah. he pops up there as well. But yeah, I, I do also love just Malcolm kind of pointing out that there's this wonderful banter with them about Superman because of comics. And I thought that was really interesting
1: because it's the first time in my eyes that there's a call out to something that's real in our universe.
0: Something more contemporary,
1: yeah. Yeah, not as in Superman himself is actually real, as in the comic. We have a comic yeah. called Superman. So something in our universe, presumably, is in the Star Prime Star Trek universe. They had Superman comics, yeah. and also that presumably is still going on. In you know, in like another 150 years. Well, we also see them having movie
0: nights later in the series as well, where they all kind of sit down and watch old movies, which are no longer copyright protected, so they can show them. <laughs>
1: Yeah, why don't they watch the Star Trek films? They'll, they'll be like, oh, we better look out for these guys. Like, can't Make a note of that Khan bloke. He's going to turn up soon. Oh, let's go find him now. Let's blow up his the Botany Bay. We can blow it up and that's, that's all done.
0: I, I do also love just Malcolm also just talking about how Cochran, you know, Father of the warp drive, obviously would have to be from Montana of all places. And it's just this yeah. really interesting dig that, that Malcolm's making with it.
1: He's having a go at the Star Trek writers, uh, yeah. pretty much, uh, <laughs> in, 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 in the show itself. But
0: it's a realistic <laughs> kind of jokey debate slash argument slash just messing around.
1: Self-reflective kind of, yeah, yeah like, it, self-deprecating almost to Star it. Trek.
0: And it's not like, like a single comment. It's, it's almost kind of like it's just bouncing from one topic to another, just in the way that a lot of banter generally is. I, I think it's very well written yeah. for it and and then this is all interrupted by seeing debris on an asteroid then they're moving closer and it's clear that it's wreckage from enterprise i mean you've got english writing and numbers on there so like there's there's no other species this is going to be there's no other ship this is this is definitely enterprise
1: and there's a field of debris that would seem to match in terms of like density or you know um you know that would match up a whole ship yes. having been destroyed it's not just a little piece of it
0: yeah I think it's a very good end to the teaser, and then when yeah. we pick up after the the opening titles, we see Archer in his ready room, and I I like that they didn't just have us think that the ship had been destroyed because obviously nobody's going to believe that, you know. Yeah, or we're just going to be know. expecting would it, would it like been... time travel and stuff. I,
1: I think, I mean, the part there's a temptation to think, oh yeah, you could just have had the whole episode on on the, the shuttle pod and not have any scenes on the on Enterprise, and then it'll mm. be more sinister and. But I think the trouble with that is there's only a, there's not much you can do with Malcolm and Trip on on their own throughout for, for a lot, an entire forty five minutes. You know they're just mostly talking and just you know doing little little bits of busy work. So you kind of it might be artistically better, but um, to have tonight the Enterprise shot. But I think literally just padding out time, you kind of have to. Um, I yeah. think really have have it.
0: I think that the other thing as well is that you've got they're in this dire situation and if they give up, you as a viewer know, but no, if you hold on longer, like they're still there.
1: And yeah, exactly. it, yeah. it does
0: change the dynamic and it, it it lets you just focus on them rather than the question of what happened to the to the enterprise. It, yes. it shifts it. So I, I think it's smart that they do this straight off with, with uh with Archer there. Hoshi comes in and we we find out about these aliens that we do not see and again, I kind of like that we don't, but, and again, this is a very good way for them to save money because no prosthetics needed at all. Uh, but it was a race called the Tesnians. And they're currently with Flocks, And we find out that they breathe a nitrogen-oxygen atmosphere, but they need six hours of boron gas a day. And Hoshi mentions that because there's 12 Max in the decon chamber, and this means that that's, means there's another 22 of these aliens on top of that, Phlox is rotating them. And I remember when I first saw this ad... That makes me think.
1: That just makes me think of flocks just turning them around. That's it! Individually on the spot. That's what I, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> What's he doing that for? Oh, he's just switch, switching them in and out of the chamber.
0: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the first time I ever saw this episode, that's what I just pictured. I, I didn't quite get it. I thought that they, they just like had them on a stick rotating them. Yeah, like, or they're, like they're on a
1: stick that moves around in a circle. He just rolls them around for a laugh. <laughs>
0: But it's, and it's not just that, but it's that they need rotating, like they can't be stationary. <laughs> yeah. Like They need to be turned yeah. over. Maybe they, uh, <laughs> maybe something That's happens right. if they're just on their back for too long. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the Tisnian captain has no idea what caused the accident, but we do know that their ship tried to dock. Something went wrong. They managed to escape in escape pods, and then the ship exploded. And that's what took out some of uh, Enterprise, which is why there's damage on this asteroid. And the captain feels bad. So there's like nothing malicious here, nothing we need to worry about, which is good. And yeah. Hoshi even says that she saw the wreckage and that there wasn't much left of the Tesnian ship. And this goes back to your earlier point, that there was enough of a wreckage of a full ship there. And that was... Which is,
1: you uh, know... It's, it's you're tempted to say, "Oh well, surely Malcolm and Tucker could have just scanned something and they'd see it wasn't the Enterprise." I mean, one well, they can't scan the s- sensors were down. Sensors are down, and we don't even know if they're sophisticated enough to be able to pick up, you know, tiny bits of debris and be able to tell mm. that it's, you know, from a certain ship. They probably can't at that point in time. Uh, um, yeah, they probably
0: could if the script required it.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, but you know, when you think about Deep Space Nine blowing up Renax shuttle. Uh, mm. Or Garrick doing it, um, they they not tell you know they 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 managed to find particles of the uh, the Cardassian data rod and work and managed to reconstruct it, but that's like two hundred years after this, mm. so uh, I don't think they'll be able to do that. But yeah, they nip in the bud at any th- weirdness of them of Trip and Malcolm not being able to figure out it's not actually Enterprise by. Yeah, there's there's enough there. They've got a whole ship that's blown up and they've got hmm. a bit of debris that is definitively the Enterprise. So it's it's perfectly plausible that they would assume the whole ship blew up. And I don't yeah. know about this whole shenanigans that the Enterprise has got into with the Tesnians.
0: And it, we, we end up with uh, a really nice addition, given that we're in season one, just in terms of Archer and his perspective on the Vulcans as well. Because whilst he's... Telling Topol that they should get uh, Lieutenant Hess to craft a new sh- starboard door for Shuttle Bay 2. She's the one that's covering for Trip whilst he's away. Yeah. Topol says that Ashton Mexis had detected what could be micro singularities in the vicinity. And Archer says that this is a Vulcan, or what he feels is a Vulcan myth, because there's no proof that micro singularities exist. It's basically like, oh, you've just made up this theoretical nonsense. And if Vulcans had their way, they'd blame them for the common cold. And I just, I just love it. It's like, oh, you're just trying to waft away something with some theory. And, and this kind of goes in the face of him saying, well, something like time travel would be possible. And the Vulcans are like, no, there's definitely no way. So there's a, there's a lot of differing ideas as to what's real science and what's just um, effectively
1: something that's uh, analogous to Gremlins. Yeah, it's kind of a bit. I find it a bit tedious uh, because it has come up a few times in Enterprise. It's like, oh, Vulcans don't believe in whatever thing, and then later, by the end of the episode, they've completely debunked it. So it's like yeah. Captain Archer responsible for debunking massive swathes of Vulcan science <laughs> and like beliefs. That's a good and it's point. Like, actually, yeah, you know, would be like well, well done to him for doing it, I guess, but. It's like, it's it's a bit silly that, that Vulcans have been in space for so long before more, you know, I don't know how much longer before humans did, but mm. you you think they would have encountered some of this stuff, that, but it turns out, oh, you know, it's all right, Captain Archer figured it all out for you. So I find that a bit annoying, but yeah, it's, it's not a big deal, you know, but um, yeah it's a bit tedious. It, it comes up a few times in Enterprise where he just deep, completely ruins a Vol- how Vulcans think about stuff. Yeah, I, I like um, that it comes up. It, yeah. Yeah, I do yeah. like
0: that it comes up, but I think you are right that uh, just that it is always debunked by the end of the episode. That is a consistency. I mean, it's <laughs>
1: hundreds of years presumably that the Vulcans have held strong to, <laughs> and Archer turns up and investigates it a bit, and it's like, oh yeah. no, you're wrong. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: And then, and then we're back to Trip and Malcolm wondering what to do. Uh, they don't see any signs of escape pods, so they're just fearing the worst that nobody managed to get off the ship and that they're all dead. And Trip feels that they should stay behind and find the black boxes. And I I find that kind of interesting that, you know, black boxes are are still a thing there, which still makes sense to have some record uh, of the ships destroyed.
1: Yeah, but they're called that. Well, even though in our time, they aren't actually black. They're like Hmm. fluorescent orange because you need to be able to see them, Uh, (laughs) you know, Um, but they're still called that. But yeah, it's um, they launch a log boy or something before they abandon the ship. If they know it's going to blow up or something. But well, I don't think it's ever been mentioned before that there's like, you know, a black box, you know, on every starship. I think it might mm. maybe in the technical manual if I dig back through those. But yeah, it's actually said here, you know. Yeah. So.
0: And it'd be pretty impressive to have a black box that could survive a warp core breach. Yeah. But I guess they're just thinking for anything that wasn't that.
1: I mean, you could adapt that into just the actual shields of every ship if they're that good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah
0: well it's that old uh that old joke of why don't they just make the entire plane out of a black box
1: exactly yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah we, we, we
0: get to this interesting conundrum that we get where we know that shuttles are capable of long distance travel but they have 10 days worth of breathable air and so like air doesn't just come out of nothing and i think that's kind of a, an interesting thing that, that that's also a limiting factor as to how far these uh these ships can go
1: and they, and, they don't have warp like uh the ship the shuttle crafts we're used to in like next generation of voyager right. and voyager yeah, yeah
0: these uh impulse only so they're all sublight yep. only vessels and it's going to take them more than 10 days to get to the nearest inhabitable place which is echo 3. so trip suggesting to that they should just go there as far as they can and at least try and get a distress signal out that maybe Enterprise could pick up. Um, but Malcolm is certain that the mass on this is all wrong because they're weeks or months out because, again, sublight. So this just ends up in an argument between them about Trip wanting to know just which way is it to Echo 3 and Malcolm saying, well, it's pointless because it's too far. And
1: oh, that's another great name for an album. Which way to Echo 3? <laughs> Of music, star trek based music names here
0: yeah <laughs> i love seeing trip yelling at malcolm when he actually snaps and starts basically coming down hard at him uh because there's one bit where he's saying like you come from a long line of navy men and you've got a real good memory look hard at those stars find something that looks familiar and tell me which way to go that's an order and yeah it, it shows just how different he is to to archer like he is the first officer but I I don't see him being in command anytime soon with his the attitude that he has. But
1: yeah, I mean he's he's quite um, he's quite laid back normally. Yes. Um, but there's times when you see him quite grumpy. Yeah, yeah. This is one occasion. But I love that um, Reed basically just turns into Private Hudson from Aliens. <laughs> you know, game over, man, game over. Like it's pretty much straight away.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and to your point about him being kind of relaxed, I do like how quickly he calms down though when he's like, I I don't suppose you have a sextant handy and. Trip's response is just, well, I left it with my slide rule. You know, so there's that yeah. whole... He's hes flipped a switch, but hes uh, he is at least starting to see, like, okay, maybe there's uh, only so
1: far we can do. You get little moments of sort of very dark humour um, yeah. in this. Like, yeah. amusing.
0: But they do see a blue giant that they think they pass, so they're, they're going to go there. And uh, uh, But Trip orders one final flyby around the wreckage before they set a course to just say goodbye to the crew which you would do oh yeah you would want at least just one final farewell yeah we get an interesting date after it kind of uh, moves to the next scene november 9th 2151 that's one thing i always found interesting with enterprise that they give actual contemporary dates as opposed to star dates
1: yeah that's something that was established uh, in the very first episode um yeah isn't it i mean it's not really clear I don't think it's really established at all why people start using star, which it makes sense to use star dates because obviously time is just relative to, you know, mm. like the planet that someone's on, isn't it, really? But um, yeah. star dates make sense. But obviously, there they have them in Discovery, which is in between the original series and Enterprise. Mm. So sometime after Enterprise, but before Discovery, is when we start using star dates. I think
0: it's just when we start with more fleets and maybe space stations out there where you yeah, need to have exactly. that. Whereas right now it's just. Everything's on Earth apart from the Enterprise.
1: Yeah, they needed some kind of uniform time thing. But yeah, apparently, like um, uh, the Zindi used star dates. So, you know, they, they find out about that in, later on in, in Enterprise. Hmm. But according to Memory Alpha here, 2164, Starfleet officers would open log entries with the star date. So that's, you know, 15 odd years after where we are now. So, yeah. Right.
0: So, not too far. So- bit closer to the yeah. founding of the Coalition of Planets.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Not the Federation just yet, but, uh, but getting there. The early version of it, yeah. Yeah. But Malcolm starts leaving a log to recount the events that led to the destruction of the Enterprise for anyone who finds it long after they're dead. To hark back to your mention of uh, the dark humour that's in this. Yes. And, yeah. and, and Trip's just trying to get his work done. And he just, he keeps interrupting Malcolm to correct him on various details. Almost to kind of wind him up because he's getting wound up. And Malcolm, every single time, will rewind the log back
1: and then just re-record it and continue. And I was looking at the buttons that he was hmm. pressing and it didn't look like they're related at all to recording anything. <laughs> <laughs> and really nit, really nit, So, It's one set sort of like auxiliary power I'm like Malcolm. You're turning off some kind of, or well, turning on some kind of extra power thing when you think you're like recording your log. You're, like, look at what you're doing, dude. Well maybe, <laughs>
0: well, maybe that's like the default layout, and then there's just a switch that flips it into log mode. And they just I have guess, oh so, yeah, that, uh, thing. I mean, they're, like,
1: they... they're like they're like context sensitive, you know, sort of yeah. buttons, context changing. <laughs> but it's also like you know, when we get to Enterprise, I think all the seasons are in HD yeah so you know they would have had to have made sure the buttons you know look like things and read and had you know accurate looking labeling and stuff because you'll be able to see that a lot better now you know so yeah especially
0: like in next generation they would have all sorts of fun stuff probably my favorite one being don't tug on superman's cape was one of the things that was printed on a display panel
1: yes yeah um and it's interesting because i saw like there's a lot of like um things you can do with video now where there's like AI that can upscale video to HD, SD video to HD. Yeah. And on YouTube, you can, uh, someone did it with an, um, a clip from Star Trek Voyager and it looks really good. Um, I think it's the episode Pathfinder, you know, with Reg. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I think if you look up on YouTube, like look up Voyager AI HD or something like like that, and you'll find it. But it does look. I mean, obviously, there isn't actually in in the uh, the video. Obviously, this detail doesn't exist because it wasn't recorded. Mm. It was you know SD. But even the uniforms, you can see like more texture to them, and and like people's faces, and like it's incredible um, how this stuff will work. So it'd be interesting if they, you know, people start applying this to episodes of Star Trek and seeing what it does to like all of these readouts and displays and everything. Yeah, especially if we're um, taking
0: yeah. HD footage from the remastered next-gens and then upscaling them to 4K. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Also, this is just an AI doing it, so there's no real, like, mastering um, yeah. to make sure things look right. It's just, a you know, an arbitrary, like, like um, algorithm. So yeah. the results, obviously, won't be anywhere near as good. But, yeah, yeah, really interesting mm. stuff.
0: I love that Trip is uh, (laughs) saying, like, why don't you cut the crap and get back here and help me? He's so fed up and tired of Malcolm's pessimism throughout this whole thing. Yeah. Which Malcolm doesn't feel is an accurate reflection of his log entry. Uh, He he just feels he's being realistic
1: that they're about to die. I I think they're trying to sort of portray um, his sort of background as being quite quirky as well. Yeah. And him being quite... um, um, Uh, kind of, not narcissistic, but kind of, he's got funny little quirks and habits, perhaps, that make him quite an awkward character. And they're trying to establish that with these little moments here, yeah. Neurotic. Neurotic is the word. He's quite neurotic, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's also very stereotypical of Americans versus the British. Yes. Where the Americans are very kind of happy and positive about of adversity, whereas the British are a little bit more reserved. We, if somebody's saying, like, How's your day going? It's like, It's all right. And that means things are going really, really well, that we're having an absolutely fantastic time. Yeah. But we'll just be like, eh,
1: it's Not bad. I think it's I is trying to say that when you're dying in a shuttle crafted space, the British are really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Which is an ancient Chinese proverb. Uh, a...
0: we the worst people to be around if we're going to die. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Push in space.
0: where no one can hear you complain exactly yeah (laughs) (laughs) but in this whole positive light trips just assuming that one of the many species that they've met could be out there and come rescue them malcolm is again being realistic that they're not gonna find anybody because space is so vast they're not just gonna bump into somebody and they're not just gonna show up but uh all, all this arguing ends up switching to Something that I know that you're quite fond of, and that is Starfleet rations. Yeah, and they've got quite, they get quite fancy uh, stuff here, don't they? In terms of... Yeah. They've got veal masala. Yeah. Chilean sea bass, mugu pan, and
1: and then surprisingly, yeah. meatloaf with gravy and mashed potatoes. I mean, is this even appropriate stuff to be having as rations? Like, shouldn't it be like sort of high energy kind of, you know, Stuff that is that will fill you up and like give you all the energy you need, you know, like uh, like army ra- rations, I guess, you know, kind of uh, pe- like mm. things like peanuts and baked beans and things that have like you know deploy en- en- energy slowly to your body and stuff because you're probably not going to be able to eat much. So this is like nice. I-, I would have all that stuff as just a regular meal that they would t- they're talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it may even just be stuff that uh, perhaps chef has just prepared for long journeys. So rather than it being emergency rations, maybe it's just you know, like, yeah. these are the packed lunches. And we, we do know that there is some Kentucky bourbon there. And that's something that Archer had left behind. So Archer had obviously used the shuttle pod and just left this this bourbon there.
1: And they're like, I guess it's ours now. Which one would you have had? Hmm? Which one would you have had out of the, uh, what was on offer? What they were eating there? Ooh. Uh... I would have gone for the, uh, the meatloaf and, and the mashed potatoes with gravy. Yeah. That's really good.
0: Yeah, either that yeah. or the veal masala might have been quite
1: nice. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of like, um, yeah, I mean, I think you like um, Back to the Future. And the kind of, um, yes, you hide it fairly well. Um, <laughs> <but in> fact, <laughs> yeah, you know, was
0: I was thinking about this too when I was watching it. I know exactly what you were about to say. You know what
1: well, I'm going Yeah i know where you're going so obviously you see him they have to cook this stuff so obviously you're thinking oh, i'll be some kind of like awesome like microwave <laughs> but it's just a thing that they put it into like a what it was like a drawer or a sort of receptacle or whatever and they yeah. pop the tray in and then after about five seconds it's like ready to eat um, not even that yeah and it's actually you see some steam coming off it so they obviously you know you know it's a prop and then someone shoved in something that was actually hot off camera and then took it out sort of thing i, I guess is how they did it but yeah and it just reminds me of the hy- the, the food hydration the black and decker food hydrator in back to future part 2 which was like Yeah hydrate level 4 please Yeah yeah <laughs> and that was like a tiny little like foil packet of a pizza hut? pizza i think isn't it in in back yeah. to future part 2 so it's weirdly very very similar but it's really interesting technology because it's not um it's real food yeah possibly resequenced protein which i think is what they use isn't mm. it um, mm. on enterprise? It could be really disgusting if you try and think about you know what that eve actually means.
0: Uh, <laughs> wait, being turned in,
1: in, into nice food, but um, obviously packed up maybe by chef, but, and then they just heat it up. But yeah, it's an interesting glimpse into how they prepare food. Although yeah. it might not be a real impression because it's like on a shuttle craft. It might be an emergency thing, but yeah, <laughs> that just stuck out to me that scene because of the food and the way me, they prepared it.
0: The moment I saw yeah. them put it in and then take it out like seconds later, it's just like, oh, that is a hydrator right there. That's exactly what they're... They're just rehydrating
1: it. Yeah. It's probably a hydrate level 4 as well, I think.
0: It's yeah, yeah. I, I think <laughs> actually maybe level 5, given that they've got a good meat and stuff. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that Malcolm gives the most British response at the dinner table. I mean, the figurative yeah. dinner table. Because when yeah. he's asked... How he uh, likes his food, like it is clear he does not like the sea bass. He takes a bite, he, he looks with disgust, but he's just like, "Oh, it's lovely,
1: thank you." It looks really nice as well. Like, what you want, <laughs> come on, mate. Just like you know, this is cheer up, and he doesn't you know what he doesn't ask Trip how his was. I thought that was quite rude. Yeah, yeah. I would have asked I, him, "Was yours all right?" And he'd be like, "Yeah." Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I do
0: see him as choosing the sea bass. I think I, I, I can completely. Envisioned yeah. that that would be exactly what he would have ordered before even him selecting it.
1: I would have gone with the meatloaf. It sounded really, really, you do get to see a bit more of it later as well. They barely mm. eat it. They barely eat their food. Uh, so
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're back to another log as well where he's he's uh, well. There's it's a letter that he's writing to his parents. <laughs> he's going like Captain Archer claims. You told him you weren't even aware I was serving on Enterprise. I wrote you twice, and you must have spoken to Aunt Sherry during that time. <laughs> he's just. Going on about all of this stuff,
1: mainly because yeah, he's, he's
0: worried. Yeah, he's yeah. worried that he'll go to his death with his parents believing he was ignoring them.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's also just helps to establish that he's probably got quite an eccentric kind of backstory and family and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah they're kind of trying to do it with him making these quirky, you know, um weird, you know, log entries, yeah, letters. But-
0: I think it's a bit more than that, and we'll—I think we'll—we'll we'll go into it a bit more during the next letters that he writes. Yeah. But I—I I love Fripp. I say that I love a lot of the things in this episode, but it's hard not to, especially when you get to see Connor just being so animated,
1: Mister Grunt.
0: and angry, yeah, and yelling, yeah, because he just rolls over in his bed and yells at him that this has been going on for hours. <laughs> and Matt was just wanting to tie up loose ends, even though. Trip is still confident that they're going to be rescued before they both suffocate.
1: But he could let him away from him to stop sleeping and be awake, you know, because it's not like they, they can do much else while they're out there as well. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> he has a point. He has a point. Yeah, and
0: I, I think one of the, the most Trip things is him saying, Mr. and Mrs. Reed, I realise you both begin a period of mourning that I never get an answer to this question, but i got to ask it anyway. Was Malcolm
1: always this cynical? <laughs> <laughs> <It's just> beautiful... <laughs> yeah beautiful it's just great banter between them uh, <laughs> uh, uh, as, as well isn't it yeah
0: Yeah. Malcolm's still convinced that Tripp will leave uh, want to leave logs and you know he promises not to interrupt him when that happens but Tripp is just wanting to say and he is he is cranky absolutely cranky and when he rolls over he rolls back gives this real evil side eye to Malcolm <laughs> it's, it's actually yeah. quite hilarious <laughs> it
1: gives him one massive evil
0: and then uh, they w- awaken sick bay. Yeah. Back on the Enterprise.
1: I wasn't fooled by this for one second,
0: I think, even the first time I saw it. When, when I saw it, I, I was yeah. for a couple of seconds, but then it's very, very weirdly done that it's like, no, there's they can't be back this soon. Especially this early in the, the episode. fake outs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's that, but there's just generally, we, we get you get hit with a lot of fake outs in Star Trek. Um, yeah. And by this point, we've already had like, you know, four series. Mm. Um, so yeah, you kind of, no one when you see one, basically, within a matter yeah. of seconds, as we are just saying, yeah.
0: Yeah. So he's kind of told by Flux to rest, and I love that Paul comes over and says that Archer would be annoyed if she was to tell Malcolm of his heroics. And if something doesn't give things away, it's that. Yes. Definitely. She's talks about how Vulcans can't ignore courage and that she's not going to ignore Malcolm again. And then we get into Malcolm getting very flirtatious and saying may i call you to paul and it is one of the funniest moments i think we've had in enterprise up until this point yes just to see malcolm just fawning over to paul
1: it makes you realize as well that this episode is much more about malcolm than it is trip because um you could you could argue that you've had a pretty strong trip episode already with unexpected yeah um, I mean, a lot of people hate that episode. I quite, I think, I think it's quite, quite fun, mm. especially for an early like, like. There's um, often with most Star Trek series early on. There's, there's a jokey comedic episode because they are a very easy way to establish a character's, you know, desires and thoughts and character and needs and all that stuff. Like naked now in Next Generation, for example. Mm. Unexpected does that in Enterprise, but yeah, with this, we don't see like trips, you know, dreams or anything. It's all basically it's clear it's a malcolm episode really at this point yeah
0: yeah he's obviously dreaming at this point and i just love that his dream kind of comes up with the idea that malcolm is a vulcan word for serenity (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh and and he's going on to say that he was rather fond of being called stinky and there's this whole thing where she smiles and denies it and he's like do that i saw you it was when I said stinky, wasn't it? And he just goes on saying stinky over and over. And then suddenly we just hear static and we're back in the shuttle pod. Trip saying he's fixed the receiver, but the transmitter's a lost cause. Who's stinky? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're talking in your sleep, talking to some guy named Stinky.
1: <laughs> which, is, which would have been a more interesting dream. Yeah. It was just called Stinky that he was talking to.
0: Yeah. They do get
1: an impact
0: at this point, and start losing atmosphere, which would be absolutely terrifying in that situation, as if it's not terrifying enough. They end up with pressure dropping rapidly, and Trip comes up with a genius plan to just release the nitrogen from the coolant tanks to find the leak. So you end up with yeah. all this smoke effectively going around. Yeah. And
1: great, great little kind of hack there. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, and we find out there's two holes, which kind of limits what they can do.
1: There are two holes...
0: <laughs> as a uh, John Luke might say, <laughs> Malcolm asks trip for the meatloaf, which he presumes he's he's finished eating, and he fixes it with mashed potato.
1: Yeah, mashed potato was a big history in Star Trek. Um, yeah. so obviously we see it in 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 this at this episode as mm-hmm. a great moment in Next Generation, Data's Day, where O'Brien and Keiko are having dinner. And O'Brien apparently they have a thing, Keiko and uh, O'Brien, where they sample each other's sort of culture's food. And unfortunately for Keiko, it's Irish night. So, what else <laughs> is he going to give them? But <laughs> mashed potato with capers in <laughs> it, which I've never heard of and sounds mm. horrific. But um, they have mashed potato with capers in it. I mean, I really like mashed potato. I just sort of stick kind of uh-huh. butter or something normally, I, I, just chuck a bit of butter in
0: it. If, if there's what? mashed potato on the menu, I can't say no. I, I, it's great, isn't it? It's, it's impossible for me to, to say. Like, if there's steak and mash, it doesn't matter what else is on the menu yep. and what else I've got craving for. Like, it's it's I I have no self control. Yeah, it's
1: yeah. that's the yeah. instant easy choice. Great. Corned beef hash with mashed potato mixed in with it is great. Yeah. But yeah, then you've got that. There's the legendary mashed potato that you see in Star Trek 6 when mm-hmm. Valaris fires a phaser at a pot roast or a that's pot. Right, yeah. Um, and he, there's just a bunch of mashed potato. Uh, well, that is a very odd scene. I'm like, really? They're cooking a pot roast? Like an actual <laughs> pot roast? Like there's replicators by now, surely? That's just weird. Yeah. Well, and why isn't that vaporising the mashed potato as well? Like the whole thing should vaporise. Yeah, it just gets just the metal container, yeah. isn't it? So there you go. Cover yourself in mashed potato and you can't get killed by a phaser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so there's that
0: indispensable uh resource on on a starship
1: yeah kez eats in six bowls of mashed potatoes with butter um mm-hmm. as recommended to her by samantha wildman when she's going through uh the elegyum. um yep. so yeah i mean i could eat that you know i'm not <laughs> a,
0: a common it's, it's a little bit better than when she was eating plants and beetles
1: there's a phrase you have to get into your life at some stage in the next few weeks. I'm going to eat mashed potatoes like a pregnant Ocompen. <laughs> out, no context. When obviously, if there's you know, when you're in a restaurant and you're going to that's on the menu and you think you're going to have it, say it and just see and 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 see what happens. <laughs> uh, and Tom Paris has it as well. He has prime rib with mashed potatoes and creamed spinach, along with Yorkshire pudding mm. and a rock to Gino in the episode Meld.
0: Do love a good Yorkshire pudding.
1: Yeah, interesting that Tom Paris had it. I didn't know that was a thing for Americans to have. You might be able to provide some insight on that.
0: Hmm. Uh, it's certainly not something North that America, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's not something I've come across here in Nova Scotia. Uh, that's for sure. I, I do miss my uh, my Yorkshire pudding. You can't get it at all. Not that, actually. Actually, there is one place that is a go. a bit more of a British pub, and they do have like bangers and mash. They might do Yorkshire pudding there. Possibly. I've not been there in a while but they do they do a good bangers and mash, though.
1: Yeah. Well, um, hopefully I'll, I'll get to visit you at some point in the near future, and I'll bring over um, Aunt Bessie's Yorkshire Puddings. So any listeners don't know what that is, um, look that up on the interwebs. You'll, yeah. be able to, you'll be able to find that out.
0: And then we'll chase it down with en- enough mashed potato to uh, feed a pregnant company.
1: Yeah, and a rock to Gino. Yeah. <laughs> You've got the uh, you you have bought the food uh, book, haven't you? Neelix's uh, book, so yeah, Neelix's cookbook. So uh, this this is a thing that could happen, absolutely. So we find that
0: not only is it ruptured the hull, but it's also ruptured one of the O2 cylinders. So now they're down to two days of air left. Bummer.
1: Yeah. If I was Arnold Schwarzenegger, I would say, "Give these people air!" (laughs) You know, yelling that at the screen.
0: But they're a little confused because they're like, based on the size of the hull, it should be able to withstand a meteor five times that size. And so they're wondering if whatever it was that hit them could have been what destroyed the Enterprise.
1: Well, we know now that mashed potato is good for fixing hull
0: ruptures. Yep. So um, I wonder if they put that on the, uh, the O2 tanks as well.
1: They okay, must have done right. I mean, if we ever make, make a, you know, if we ever get to make a Star Trek series or if we ever get invited to write an episode of probably Lower Decks, this would work. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of a whole rupture happens on the Cerritos and you just say, hey, let's do <laughs> what Malcolm and Trip did. Just cover it in mashed potato. And there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do like this.
0: Again, we're back to the whole pessimism and being always the optimist between the two of them. And Trip is just hoping that someday there'll be a Charles Tucker fourth. which I, I still find it interesting when people, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel that that's more of an American thing to pass down names uh, through generations than it is British these
1: days. I, th- I think we mentioned it maybe on our, or maybe not on our away mission, but it, he's called Trip because it's a thing I think might, I don't know if it's in Canada, but certainly in America where if you're the third, which because he's Charles Tucker the third, and you get the nickname trip like three triple yeah trip yeah, so that's where that comes from, but um I don't really know any of that. I've never met any juniors in my life and we we find that out in first flight, which is in season
0: two, and yes that's not the only continuity that we get with that because the next thing they talk about is the 602 club, which is where all the Starfleet trainees would go to uh, to hang out and It turns out that they both knew Ruby, who was the waitress at the club. And she was basically the girl of Tripp's dreams. And we find out that Malcolm knew her more times than he could remember.
1: Very graphic.
0: And we get to see Ruby in First Flight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I I thought was really kind of neat. And that it all tied back to just this one throwaway line.
1: It's another good episode as well where we sort of see basically how Tripp and uh, Archer meet. It's basically a prequel to the series, really. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's really good. Yeah,
0: yeah. I feel it's also what we would have kind of gotten if season one had been set entirely on Earth. I feel like it would have been more of that.
1: Uh, I think it would have been, yeah. Which yeah. I would have really enjoyed. I think it's a Same. shame that. Yeah. But they, they, I think they're worried that you know we need it to be in space and do all Star Trekky stuff. Otherwise, no one will be interested. But nowadays, that would get probably approved. I think. Yeah. Um. But yes. That there was it was it was riskier then I think they thought, but yeah, it would have yeah. been great.
0: If we got it. I just love that the kind of the moment of ouch. Seems like we have more in common than we thought. <laughs> <laughs> they realise that yeah, you know they've they've both been hankering over the same woman. Uh, yeah. small world, Earth. Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially if you're in Starfleet at the same yeah. time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I I feel like they never bumped into each other. during those the likely different courses with one being an armory officer and the other being engineering. Yeah. I imagine the paths didn't really cross back then.
1: This is showing them basically warming to each other at this point oh, yeah. now. Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, they do also find that they lower the thermostat to minus 5 degrees centigrade, then they can uh, get better efficiency for the CO2 recyclers. And this kind of brings up a whole thing of, do they want to last two and a half days freezing versus two days toasty warm? Yeah. And obviously another half day is a half day. So that's how they do it. And then
1: then we want to contemplate really, really at any point in your life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And and then just another dark humor moment. Malcolm's shaving because he feels that an officer is at his best when he's also well groomed. And he just wants to make sure that he looks good if he's ever found dead. But um, yeah, your hair and nails keep growing after you're dead.
1: And, uh, yeah. and say says, "Pretty sure that includes your beard." <laughs> and and it's also like Reed is like actually sort of like joining in on like the dark humor as well, and actually kind of trolling Triple a, a little bit with this. <laughs> so he's not. I don't think he's being completely like you know we're doomed. Screw it. Is being he's kind of you know being a bit more jovial about it. Mm. Um, although you know, Trip kind of turns it against him. Um, you get a very disappointingly boring looking shaver as well. I thought it was some kind of laser or something at this point. Nothing particularly special about it. Yeah,
0: if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know. it's You can't knock a good old razor. Do you see a futuristic shaver in Star Trek at some point? I think you do. Yeah, there is um, there, there is one that is a laser, I'm pretty sure. Just for, like, a, a general sort of, I, th- I think... Yeah. Does Riker use one at some point? Possibly, yeah. I can't remember. I, I've got very loose memory of, of seeing
1: something doing that. Next Generation, I, know, I get the thought that there's some reason is why I'm thinking that we we saw yeah. a futuristic... um. Although, missed, although to cut your hair, you still use, like, scissors, Yeah, um, apparently. So,
0: yeah. yeah. We're back on the Enterprise with T'Pol, who has been analysing the scans and is now convinced that they hit a micro-singularity. And this is where uh, we go back to what you were saying before, where Archer then just kind of accepts that, okay, so maybe they do exist. And so now those are a thing. And he does have some kind of concern for Malcolm and Trip because he figures... They'll be in for a rough ride if their shuttle hits one of them, because the whole plating obviously isn't as good as the Enterprise's. Yes. So there, is, there is uh, that kind of like, oh, yeah, they are still
1: out there. A, a glimmer of hope.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it also gives us, it's such a short scene, but it really gives us an idea as to exactly what happened and that they could be in more danger
1: where they are. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And then we get to the logs that I was wanting to talk about most, I think because he's now writing letters to a bunch of his old flames. And there's more static, which they're not sure what it is, but Trip basically just says, wouldn't it be easier to just record one message and then add the Dear Whoever afterwards? Because he's done five of these very, very similar letters, even though Malcolm is convinced that there's, just, there's still subtle differences that he's had to put into them. Right, yeah. And a lot of it comes down to, these old flames aren't really people he's dated or he did. It was very, very brief. And although it sounds like he's gotten with quite a few women, he, he, he does say a little bit later that he's, he's never really been that close to people. And so you're getting an insight into him that we haven't really yeah. had before. He's not really the ladies' man. It's more kind of these are, are people that have probably not heard of or thought about him in a very long time.
1: Yeah, kind of a way for you to kind of warm to him a little bit as yeah. having kind of a character that you kind of want to... just shows like a softer side and maybe a or not or dramatic... Uh, tragic's probably a bit of a dramatic way of putting it, but there's a side to him that's kind of melancholy, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that develops his... I mean, these logs are there a way of really developing his character and giving him a backstory that he otherwise would, would be more difficult to get yeah. uh, in your regular kind of Star Trek sort of format. Hmm. They're kind of really useful for that.
0: Yeah, and it really has Trip warm to him as well because Trip's still believing they'll be fine. The optimism is getting on Malcolm's nerves and it's this whole kind of problem with having a little hope first facing the truth that they're kind of battling against each other. So at this point, they decide to go and drink the bourbon and Trip pulls out a canister and he, he lights it so they've got a little bit of a flame. And... He's really just kind of saying, like, the candle's just for mood. They give a toast to the brave men and women of the Starship Enterprise. And even though the candle thing isn't really that important right now, it does become important in a moment because he he points out that, well, Malcolm points out that the candle will consume oxygen. And Trip's saying, yeah, we'll probably be dead five or six minutes earlier than we should have been. I can live with that. And then we really get into Malcolm's whole reasoning for all of these letters to people that he's not really been that close with. Yeah. He's not the eternal pessimist that Trip thinks he is. It's just that he has lost all the people that he cared about on Enterprise. And the crew of the Enterprise are the first time that he's felt that he has been able to get to close to people. It's a, it's a really kind of really emotional kind of hits you in the gut line when he just says that he was starting to feel comfortable with them and now the only one that's left thinks he's the bloody angel of death and yeah and trip then blows out the candle and just says all of a sudden five or six minutes sounds kind of nice
1: yeah that's it's a nice little scene that actually
0: yeah yeah and it's so insightful into who both of these men are and i think that there's probably a lot of people who can relate to Malcolm with just not having that emotional closeness that you may want. Yeah. And, you know, if you've never had that, if you're about to die, then it kind of makes sense that he's not really being a pessimist. He's just trying to to reach out one last time in a way that he was never able to and just let people know that there was a side of him that cared, even though he couldn't necessarily express it. And it's it's the same, he says, not even just with... With women, but also his family, he just wasn't able to get close to anyone. And yeah, it's uh, it's kind of sad.
1: Really, like strong establishing of his, you know, yeah. character and motivations and quirks, <clears throat> and yeah, they're firmly established now. It
0: also explains why he's so cool, even though he's, you know, he's he's the military man. He's the he's the navy family descendant yeah but you you get that it's not really that that's behind all of this it's, you get to understand more of just who he is and how he interacts with people yeah and then we cut to them being completely drunk they're also wrapped in blankets because right now everything's completely freezing cold and that was interesting in how they did that there's a, a fantastic behind the scenes documentary from the season one discs and they had to use giant fans to bring the temperature down. They were having to use cold ice and nitrogen to make everything look frosted up and to also have them breathing the way that they were. And they were having to do these shots in 20-second bursts. They'd film for 20 seconds, then they'd have to reset and then come back for another 20 seconds. So there's a lot of back and forward in, in a lot of the cuts here. It really does look cold as well. It I mean, does. Like, you
1: can see their breath. It doesn't look CG or fake. No, the entire heart, hu- the in inside of the hull of the ship is covered in like a layer of icing, and you really believe it's cold in there for definite.
0: Yeah, it's it's so well done, uh, especially on the budget they were trying to do. I, I I love just seeing them drunk though, with the whole like, uh, is that static or is the galaxy just laughing at us? It's like, well, you can laugh all at once, but it's not yeah. getting any of our bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have Malcolm, who's just kind of doing that very boyish kind of like, what do you think of T'Pol? Hmm? Do you think she's pretty? Don't tell me you never looked at her that way. And Trip hasn't. Or is denying it. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he has because he, he's been looking at like, she's always been kind of the enemy to what Starfleet is because she's yeah. the overseer. So there's a bit of rivalry. There was a bit of professionalism as well that Trip still has. But even though Malcolm's saying like, have you ever noticed her bum? She's got an awfully nice bum. Like, I, I don't think that he's really been in that mindset. It's only in the third season, after he loses his sister, that he becomes so emotionally vulnerable, and she starts to care for him. I think that's basically when that begins to happen. I think it's a little bit of a Florence Nightingale effect <laughs> that, that happens. Yeah, but it's it's interesting that it's Malcolm that's after Topol at this point, but it ends up being Trip who uh,
1: who actually does. It's interesting that he says "bum" because I know that can mean something else to Americans. Um, <laughs> bum is like a homeless person or something. Yeah. So I don't know if they would know what he's referring to there.
0: Well, I don't think he would have said Fanny. That would no. Uh...
1: That has issues as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, we know later on that Trip and Topol, you know, kind of have a relationship, but not mm. really. Uh, but there's kind of a you know there's there's a tension there that, that, that's ongoing, but to be honest, that doesn't really happen until well into the series, like, like basically the third season mm. when they start spending more time together because Trip can't sleep, and T'Pol was is having issues sleeping, I think, um, as well, and that's what causes yeah. them to grow, grow together. But yeah, at this point, he's very much like Archer, who's yeah. almost like anti-Vulcan to a, to, to a degree. And I
0: think it's also just, even though it's the complete opposite of what it would turn out to be, it doesn't feel in any way like they just change the rules. This all fits when it comes to continuity. Yes. Which I think is is nice. Because it's just how how people grow sometimes. Yeah. So after giving a toast to Subcommander Paul, they get an actual communication come through. It's Hoshi warning them of all the micro-singularities that they could be coming into contact with, but they have no way to respond to let them know that Enterprise is two days away and they have only a little over a day's worth of air left. And there's no way to let Enterprise know to get there sooner.
1: And Reed sums it up perfectly, doesn't he, with what he says next? Yeah. It's like um, it's a plane traveling over a, an island and a lost at sea film. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. It is, but it's space.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. They, they even know that even if they purge the O2 tanks, by the time Enterprise arrives, they'll still have been without air for 11 hours. Yes. Yeah. So the only thing they can do is try and attract the Enterprise's attention by doing something that will put a nice little blip onto Paul's viewer. And Malcolm, I, I think this is great, because Malcolm thinks that the engine could be jettisoned and detonated, and Trip's like, no, would be adrift and dead in space. Malcolm points out, well, what's the difference between that and traveling at a snail's pace? And then we get the real reason behind it, which is Tripp saying, I'm an engineer, I won't blow up our only engine. <laughs>
1: Yeah, goes against everything he stands for. Basically. Yeah, it would basically, be kind yeah. of
0: like telling Malcolm, like just jettison the torpedoes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> everything that you're, you know, you work for. Basically, you know, yeah. everything that your life revolves around engines, and to blow one up is just like goes against <laughs> your f- very fibre of your being.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, uh,
0: Malcolm does come up with a, a good line though, which is, uh, you know, and then I'll ask you again. Ever held your breath for eleven hours?
1: Yeah, and it, it's, it makes sense because, you know, they're, yeah. they're not really going to get anywhere with an engine, yeah. you know. So, yeah.
0: And 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 that just puts things in, into perspective for, for Trippi. He's just like, I'll just go find the micro detonators. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really a cool effect when the way that it does jettison, almost the way that it's actually designed to from the looks of it.
1: Yeah, it looks like it's a separate module, doesn't it? That, yeah, um, it looks- clear up, up 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 to this point if that is a thing that could separate but yeah
0: it's, it's a nice little sequence and and obviously they don't I, I feel like with a lot of uh times that they do this with a warp core the ship is usually able to get quite far away with impulse engines but obviously at this point they've gotten rid of their impulse engine so they've only got thrusters so they don't actually get that far away from the engine when it explodes
1: but at the same time it's also not a warp engine so um yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, is that would that cause serious, serious damage? Unless they, they obviously they'll know it won't because they wouldn't do it, but mm. uh, I guess the, if it has hull plating of some kind, they probably know it'll, it'll absorb it, you know, yeah. to, uh, yeah. So, although they know, they'll get far enough away from it. Or they, you know, I don't know if it was a remote detonation. I don't think it probably just didn't just blow up. Yeah. Um, Trip probably hit a trigger on it when they got a certain amount of distance away. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Either trigger or I would guess probably a timer.
1: But yeah, and they've calculated how long you know, you know, how far they would need to be and how long that would take, yeah. I'm sure there was thought behind it.
0: Yeah, I think given that comms are down, there's probably less chance of them doing anything remotely with it. Exactly. But I find it interesting that they start to bet on the last of the bourbon. We, we don't even know exactly what it is. All we know is it's like less than 12 hours and Trip gets it. If it's more than 12 hours, Malcolm gets the last of the bourbon. Malcolm gets up, and we find out that what they're looking at is how much air is left, and it's 10 hours. So, trip wins. <laughs> yeah. I can totally see myself
1: doing that as well to pass the time. <laughs> yeah, especially if, like, you know, you're probably a bit, they're, they're clearly a bit drunk at this point, um, which is also something you probably would also do if you had alcohol and you knew you're going to die um, because yeah. of the situation they're in. If you're going to go out, that's probably a good way to do it. Yeah. Fairly grim thing to think of, but that's the situation they're in. Yeah, yeah. even though Malcolm was against drinking, he was
0: uh, he, he was not wanting to drink on duty, and Trip again had to basically give him an order to do so.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the only situation where that might happen. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But there's an odd, sick, twisted joke that actually turns into quite a dangerous moment, really, because Malcolm jokes about if there's only one of them left, then that person would have 20 hours. So Malcolm's joking about Trip sealing himself in the airlock. And Trip actually gets up and decides to actually do it to double Malcolm's chances. And they get into this really big argument over who should go and Trip's pulling rank. So Malcolm pulls a phase pistol on him and he's like, it's set to stun. I don't want to use it, but I will. Very, very Malcolm of him to really just come grab a phase pistol. Yeah. But yeah, Chip's Trip, kind of like, then go ahead and shoot me. But you better hope we don't make it, because if we survive, the first thing I'm going to do is bust your ass back to crewman's second class for insubordination.
1: subordination. Like- it also shows that um, Reed has had basically a complete turnaround in his character. He's now determined, yeah. you know, give them both the best chance of surviving, even though not that long before that, he was kind of signing their death warrant. Yeah. So a real great character development curve that mm-hmm. Reed has gone through in this episode, coming to the, the end here, yeah.
0: And, and I think as well, Trip also respecting Malcolm so much more after learning more about him. And he's just kind of like, nope, I'm, I'm going to do this. You know, in the same reason that he decided to give them that extra five or six minutes. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that Chip would do whatever he could to, to save Malcolm at this point. Yeah. But I, I, do, <laughs> I do love Malcolm in, a, in the most drunken way possible, pointing out... He's not a doctor, but he's pretty sure that people use up a lot more oxygen when they're shouting.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, this this last scene just shows that there's clearly a, there's clearly a bond, you know, developed yeah. between them at this point. Yeah, and it's yeah. very it's kind of charming, like in the same way.
0: Yeah, and like you say, like he's just clinging on to hope that they'll both be found. He doesn't want to think that everything that they've just been through is for nothing.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: especially with all the sacrifices that they've kind of made for for stuff so far. Yeah, and then they wake up in sick bay for real this time. It's the same kind of cut, but you know, at this point, I think also because you're getting close to the end of the episode, so it's like, well, it yeah. has to be. <laughs> it's not going to be another be, fake yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. and they, they've been suffering from hypothermia, and it's taken them already nearly three hours to get the body temperature back to normal. Um, but when they were found, they only had about two or three hours of air left, so it was a pretty close call.
1: There was still a few more hours after that scene that we just saw, really. I guess yeah. obviously, well, there would be hypoxia-ish. You know, you you would get, mm. with that lack of oxygen, it, it was, hy- hypoxia would make them go unconscious. So yeah. they probably were at that stage, yeah. Yeah, like
0: two or three hours of air, yes, but it's not going to be, like, plentiful.
1: Exactly, yeah. Yeah.
0: Malcolm really has trouble putting into words the fact that he saw the debris and thought they were all dead. He's really struggling to just phrase it in a way that, you know, as, especially just with how much it's affected him.
1: Quite emotional, We can see it in his face, quite visibly. Yeah, yeah. Good acting by Dominic Keating. Oh. He's, he's he's really good in this role, especially and the, and in this episode, especially. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's brilliant! Absolutely brilliant! And I I wish we'd had more episodes like this with him, yeah. really, and and in in
1: in general, anyway. Probably the only Malcolm themed episode, really, in probably the whole mm. series. I mean, he's in another episode no. where he has a all. Port thing to do in it, but yeah,
0: there's minefield where he's attached oh, to yes, the ship, yeah. and uh, you get a lot of more about his family history when he's talking with Archer. Yeah, it is clear that he talks with Archer differently than he talks with Trip, just because Archer is the captain, and we know that he has this this whole thing with that chain of command.
1: very seriously.
0: Yeah, yeah, he he, he can't just bring himself to to fraternize with uh, with the captain. He does at least feel decent enough to just fraternize a little bit with uh, with subcommander. Hey. And he's like, isn't there something you were supposed to say to me? She's like, about what? He's like, heroics. Something about heroics. And she just wishes him a good night. So it, that's yeah. a good way for him to know that this is real. And that if she's not interested, then it's definitely happening.
1: Yeah, that was a nice little nod to his dream that that he had earlier. And yeah. um yeah checking that, that everything's real yeah and he's very nice at the end he sort of says you know sleep well sleep sleep well my my friend you know yeah. to trip um, which basically affirms that yeah they're friends now and they've bonded over, over this situation and, mm-hmm. and yeah, they would touch upon their friendship in later episodes
0: yeah yeah i do love that just before he says sleep well my friend he says trip mind if i call you trip
1: yeah, <laughs> again, sure I think that it's a little bit socially awkward, you know, with people that, you know, who, yeah. are in, who he works with, basically, yeah.
0: I think of all the character-driven episodes, this is probably Star Trek at its best. The depth to the characters that you get in it, unlike a lot of the other episodes that you tend to see, I think there's also been a lot of emphasis more with Enterprise to do something that was a bit more action-orientated. So, to have this episode where there was none of that and it is just, it is pure 100% character driven.
1: An extreme example of a bottle episode. And I've got, um, last episode, there's a book that I mentioned that that I showed a review from Beyond the Final Frontier, Mm. uh, which is a book I've got. And I mentioned uh, uh, in our episode, uh, the next gen episode, I told everybody the review that it got in this book. So, this actually, uh, this book goes up to season two of Enterprise. So, Shuttle Pod 1 is in this. Okay. So the little segment it has on it here, it says uh, the trivia bit's kind of funny. It says trivia. Um, it seems to be common Starfleet strategy to eject your engine and fire at it. It's done in Star Trek Insurrection. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's happened a few times in Star Trek. I think ejecting the the warp core. Not just in Insurrection. They they are pretty volatile pieces of equipment, so there are yeah. reasons to to do so. And
0: I, I think this one. It's a very valid reason to do, you know, just to get attention on sensors. Exactly, yeah. I, I, I think it's a very valid decision.
1: And it's also like the Galileo 7, the episode of the original series, uh, Spock does an engine based shuttle, shuttlecraft thing in that <laughs> to get attention. So, um, yeah, it happens in shuttles, shuttlecrafts as well. The rating that yeah. it gave in this episode it doesn't do like a you know, four out of five stars, it's just, just like a, a bit of text couple of sentences there's another of the episodes that feels like the writers are still desperately trying to figure out reed a nice twist on the lifeboat type show and a nice contrast between reed and trip so i think kind of positive review yeah yeah i would say that this
0: episode shows that
1: they've figured out reed yeah i would say so yeah this is their, their act of figuring him out really
0: yeah yeah and it just gives him so much more depth and i think that. Even if you think that he's kind of cold and stuff, like you totally understand the reasoning why. Now, I certainly warmed to him a lot more as a character after this episode.
1: Yeah, I think they were probably worried that there wasn't really much to like about him from the first, you know, mm. dozen or so episodes. So they kind of decided that we need to kind of at least, you know, show some warmth to him. And this scenario and and, and this plot basically allowed them to do that. So I think it was an effort to really make Reed someone that is likeable. Hmm. Yeah, and I think they did a really good job and to have him bond with the crew a little bit. It's it's a really great development of Reed in this. It's, you know, a huge chunk of development he gets in one episode, really. You don't get to see much more new of Trip. I mean, we already, like I said, he's had a few episodes that revolved around him already at this point, or at least one. Hmm. Definitely one of the better episodes of season one. I mean, I struggle to sort of name what would be the best episode, but this will be in, like, you know, the top three, I'd probably say. Hmm. Season one isn't brilliant in Enterprise, if we're being honest. Neither is two. I think season three and four are where it really is awesome. But yeah, definitely definitely one of the best episodes of season one, for sure. I, I also
0: think that the design of the shuttle pod is perfectly suited to this because it is the most cramped of any shuttle that we've we've had. Yeah, And also there's just a lot more in it. I think that the interior of shuttle designs, even especially on Voyager, were kind of bland and empty whereas there just seems to be a lot more stuff that's kind of in the way and makes things a little bit more claustrophobic.
1: Yeah. I just think it's a phenomenal episode. Yeah, it definitely adds to the tension and the peril, the claustrophobia. Hmm. As a bottle show, it's difficult to make those shows entertaining, and even more so when it just takes place literally on a small shuttle pod. Yeah, It's one of the best bottle shows generally, perhaps, I I would say.
0: It's also one of the ones where we've probably had the most conflict between characters who aren't under the influence of something. Yeah, yeah. Well, granted, they've been under the influence of the Bourbon, but even before then, just the fact that they're really getting on each other's nerves, that's not something that I think would have happened in any series set in the 24th century. I think that's supposed to be long gone by then, but this is one of the advantages with a prequel, is they could get away with it
1: yeah and it's a great scenario to be able to develop a character in kind of short space of time it accomplishes that really really well and also like little things like it also helps establish how kind of scary space is in its own way and how vast and how alone can feel even with all this technology it still doesn't help them really and you know they are fortunate obviously to be rescued in the end but that's one thing that enterprise is good at is the vastness of space and it's not something that you should take lightly. You know, you tend to get a feeling that they do in the later series when they've been traveling in space for a lot, for, for centuries by, you know, next generation. So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that as well.
0: Well, that wraps up this episode of Long Range Sensors. If you have any thoughts, comments, or questions for us, let us know by emailing us at sensors at And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Trek Los. If you enjoy the show and would like to help support us, please consider subscribing to us on Patreon. By doing so at any tier, you'll get access to our private Discord channel, the chance to vote on future episodes, and access to bonus content. This also includes our new companion series for subscribers called Subspace Live, a live show where you'll be able to hang out with us as we discuss all of the fantastic new Star Trek shows that are currently airing. Find out how you can join to get these exclusive benefits and more by visiting patreon.com slash long-range sensors. But of course, one of the best ways you can help support the show is to let others know we exist. Telling a friend, sharing it on social media, or sending the same letter to all of your old flames, don't do that, that's a really bad relationship advice, uh, goes a really long way to help us grow the show. My name is Alistair, and you can find everything I'm up to online by checking out my website at alistairmcfly.com. You can also follow me at McFly on Twitter, and you might even catch me on Twitch over at twitch.tv slash McFly. Trev, where can
1: people find you? Uh, Yeah, you can follow me at Henry Jones Jr. on Twitter. And if you enjoy modern and retro video games, you can even check out my other podcast, which is Console Shock. You can find that at consoleshock.net and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You've been listening to Long Range
0: Sensors where we'll always crack open the bourbon if we ever run out of oxygen.
2: Yeah.